Well, all this month we're looking at Romans 8, and we're considering life together as a garden, that it needs to be cultivated. It needs to be cultivated. I know we like to think of relationships as just organic. Some people just click, you know? And if you look out in your garden, what do you really do to make it grow? I mean, how does your garden grow, right? I mean, it just happens. It's, it, there's still some mystery to it. I mean, we can break it down to its parts, but it happens. It's just amazing. The parts work together, and the garden grows. But isn't it incredible what can happen if you have a bit of a plan for your garden? If you plant things in the right time, if you anticipate the season, if you create rows, if you water it with the right timing, it's amazing what happens in a garden when there's order. What does that look like in life together as a church? The answer to how we bring order how we bring intentionality into our life together is accountability. Accountability. We're going to be looking at life together cultivated through the structure of accountability. From the Word of God, Romans 8. The passage that we're looking at is verse, verses, begins with verse 18, goes through 25. Romans 8, 18 through 25. Hear God's Word this morning. For I consider... That the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now, may God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. God, we, uh, we bow before you and ask for that blessing through your word. Not only that we may understand it with our minds, but receive it in our hearts, that we may live it through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I love this story. I told it years before, and it's a story of a guy who is on a desert island, and he gets rescued by a passing frigate, and they pull him onto the, the ship, and they're looking, and they're, the, the island is fading away into the distance. And the captain, standing next to him, looks, looks out and says, what are those three huts on the skyline there? He said, oh, well, the one on the left is where I lived. And the one on the right is where I worship. And he said, well, what was the one in the middle? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church. 
<laughs> we don't always get along with ourselves even, right? I mean, you know, isn't it true? I mean, you know, I, I don't always like me. You don't always like you. So when you put a bunch of us together, what's that going to look like, right? How do we stay healthy as a church? And the answer is accountability. What is accountability? Accountability is where we make commitments and we stick to them. We make promises and we keep them. We say, this is where we stand, and we stand there. We say, this is where we're going, and we go there together. Accountability is, is an a, a, attention to some common commitments that we name. We name them. We say, this is where we're going. This is where we stand. And we stand there, and we go there. Accountability is how we stay healthy. As a bunch of people who are prone to wander, a bunch of people who are prone to fragment, People who are prone to enter into conflict. I, I've told people, younger pastors, I say, I'm either in a meeting or a conflict or both. <laughs> That's people work, right? You're, I'm either in a meeting or a conflict or both. Life together means dealing with conflict, turning into the torpedoes on purpose, trying to deal better with human nature, starting with ourselves. So how do we hold ourselves accountable? This morning, when I, so let me give you a little, just a little cue here. When I say how, we're going to look at how you can, the ways that you can. The ways that the, scripture, you, the, the scriptures are telling us, you are going to be enabled to, you are enabled to do something. If I say why, you know, when, when I say something like I organize the, the, the talk as, as why, it's going to be why we should, reasons why this is true or reasons why we ought to do such and such. This morning, we're looking at how, how you can, how are we able to stay healthy as a church? How is it? And we're going to look at this image that I've used before in a Wednesday series, the image of a vine, because it's fitting with a garden theme, and a trellis, that there's a vine here. There are this tangled network of relationships um, and I, I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times, be, be careful who you're talking to about somebody else because they're probably related to them in Thomasville, you know, Remy Workman. There's a vine, there's this tangle of relationships. But there's also a trellis. That there's an institution, there's structure, there's order that brings health to the vine. So this morning, let's take a look at accountability that keeps us from getting undergrown, like just sort of ingrown and small and weak and anemic. See, the trellis can, can, can help us to grow, can support the growth of the church. But the trellis also puts constraints and keeps us from getting overgrown. So undergrown and overgrown. First, let's look at how the trellis keeps us from being ingrown or undergrown, how it provides accountability for us. It helps us to make promises that we may grow outwardly that we may grow to our full strength and potential. It helps us to make promises. That's what accountability does. It, it says, we're going to go here. We're going to do this. We're going to commit. We're going to support. We're going to, we're going to endeavor together. And we're going to be accountable to declaring what that is. That's, that's the first way that accountability helps us stay healthy as a vine. It says, we're going to keep growing. We're going to, go, we're going to expand into this. Not that, but this. Verse 18, it says, all creation waits, all creation waits 
18 and 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing. Revealing of what? Revealing of all that God has promised, right? That creation itself. Not just that, that there is uh, an eschatology or that there is going to be some end times or that there's going to be some escape from here. No, that God created the world, created all creation, and he, he set order to it, and he called it good. And his promise is that through the church, through his spirit moving around the world, through, even through common grace, that he is in the business of renewing, redeeming what he has made. That all creation waits for it. And that to, to be a part of what's going on here in this world, in your life, is not futile. That there, is, there are things that are worth loving. There are things that are worth building. There are th things that are worth investing in. And so let me give you one other image here. When we're thinking about the trellis and the way that the trellis makes promises and then the church grows towards those promises. In the, the fourth century, one of the, one of the best thinkers, really one of the best uh, scholars and leaders of all time, Augustine of Hippo, talks about the fact that there is then in a broken creation... There, is, there are two cities, and they're not side by side. They're like overlapping, the city of God and the city of man. The city of man is the broken world, is, is, is the way that, that you see uh, things fragmented and, and corrupted, the way that we order life in a way that breaks down community, that breaks apart relationships. That's the city of man. But at the same time, in the same time and space, it's the city of God. And these are the, the ordered principles that lead to human flourishing. Happening in the same time and place. In your family, in this church, in your business, in the neighborhood, in the city, in government. City of man, city of God. It's a way of saying, look, there are things that are worth loving. Things that are worth investing in because, it, because creation is groaning for us to order life according to its original design, you see? It's powerful to think we're investing in eternity that runs under our feet. Not just that we're waiting for in, in some place uh, on the calendar in the future, but that eternity runs under our feet. Creation is groaning. Creation is waiting. Creation is, it, it even uses the word pregnant. It's pregnant with expectation that something, something has started, but it hasn't been fully born yet and we we get to be part of bringing that newness of life to invest well let me give you an example of what i'm talking about how the church orders its life to 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 stretch us out into the creation that's groaning that needs us that's in need that needs a touch of the principles that help lead to human flourishing a friend of mine uh, was um uh, part of the church that i i used to to, uh, to serve, and a um, good friend of mine, he, he and I uh, had done a lot of things together with our families, and he became an officer, and one of the reasons he became an officer was he wanted to do local missions. He wanted to, he wanted to take his family, he really wanted his family to see people who were hurting, people who were disenfranchised, uh, even parts of the, the city where, where they could see their family as a family uh, the, in the name of Christ 
stepping out, reaching out to these people, and bringing hope and healing. He wanted his family to see this. And so he became a deacon, and, and he became the chairman of the deacons. And, and uh, we were talking one day. He, he, was, he was over the local missions uh, partnerships that we had. And, and I said, I said uh, to him, I said, you know, I know that you want this experience for your family, but you occupy a role. And your role isn't just to do the thing, but to find ways to help other people do the thing. And so, you know, I, I, the word administration, doesn't that make you warm and fuzzy? Administration. <laughs> administration. But here's a great word for what administration means. It means towards ministry. Towards ministry. And so indirectly, boy, to, to be able to say, you know, I can create time and space. I can create structure. I can create pathway and a next step for other people, for a lot of other people, to engage in the very value that we've committed to as a church. And not just to be the guy who stands and, and sort of, you know, stands and says, here, we've got this stuff for you that uh, sent with love from our church, and you see that sort of gratitude. No, that, in fact, that's, that's kind of a bad scenario. That sort of diminishes people's dignity. But, but more like, you know, just to, to call out Stu Ross is in the, in, the, uh, in, in the congregation this morning, more to help elevate them to say, hey, you all are capable uh, what is it that you need and how can we come alongside you to help in what you're doing? That's the way that, 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 that he has helped churches our, like ours engage in building church structures all over Kenya. Towards ministry, he's creating time and space for other people. Hundreds of churches to be built and hundreds of congregations like ours to participate in that instead of just being the guy who went and did it. Creating time and space. See, that's the trellis. That's saying, look, we don't want to just get ingrown. We don't want to just be all about ourselves. We know that there's a whole creation out there that's groaning, that's waiting, that, 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 that eternity has started. And we're in the pangs of that childbirth. We're in the pangs of it. How can we look around the world, see what God is doing, and get involved in that new order, that new creation? How can we reach out to it? Rick Warren uh, you know, people have opinions about figures like this, but one of the things that he, he said that I really appreciate is that the church is one of those organizations, maybe, maybe one of the few organizations that exists for the benefit of its non-members. Church is one of those organizations that exists for the benefit of its non-members. See, we're accountable to those things which you can see in Romans 8 calling us outward into creation that's groaning, that's, that's saying, help. You see in the groan? It's saying, help. Bring that light of the gospel into all the world. For the benefit of the non-members, we are organized as a church that, that we can create time and space and structure, support, to bring the hope of the gospel into places that don't know it yet. That's how the vine gets stretched out of its ingrown, you know, its, its, its tendency to get ingrown and to grow to its full strength and potential. But the trellis also puts constraints on us. And this is the second part, that we don't overgrow or outgrow those commitments, that we not only make 
promises, right? That's the first part. We're not just going to be about ourselves. We're going to be about the creation. We're going to make promises and we're going to follow. But we count the cost so that we can keep our promises. We make promises that we can keep. That's part of what the constraints do. That's what the, 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 the trellis creates an accountability for the vine. It says, okay, here, here's some definition. Here are the ways that we're going to order life together so that we can make promises we can keep. Verses 19 to 21. What is all this talk about futility and corruption? What's, what's Paul referencing here? He's, he's referencing all of Old Testament history. Certainly he's referencing the fall. Certainly he's, it, it's sort of an indirect reference to the, the corrupting influence of the, the fall and, and how death is brought into creation. That was originally created good. Now you've got death. And so it, there's a sense of futility uh, that, that we face death, that, that death is our final enemy. But it's more than that. All, all the flow, if you remember Jim Hobby talking a few weeks ago about, about the chaos of, of the, the Mediterranean Sea, and you, you think about the Tower of Babel and the way that, that, God, uh, that God himself, this is echoed right here in this passage, saying that, that it is God that fragments us sometimes when we order life only around ourselves. Frustrates us, subjects us to futility. So that what? So that we will depend on him. So that our life together will be rooted and grounded and centered on Christ. And so even in subjecting us to futility, there's a grace there that says, Lord, help us. Help us. To turn us again. The Tower of Babel fragmented us again. Where we couldn't create. Where we couldn't sustain but what is Paul saying here? He's saying that, that we uh, are set free from the bondage of corruption and obtain the power, the glory of the children of God. That's where we're headed. But we also have the first fruits now. That we demonstrate that we are able to deal with human, human nature, the human condi- condition differently and better. You see, it's so funny when people think that there are different rules in the church. They're not different rules. When people come together, they behave the way they behave. Sometimes we pretend a little bit more, but that's not good. Sometimes people uh, look at the church and think, well, you're not supposed to act that way in church. Well, you're not supposed to act that way in church. Why not? I mean, so, so don't have a different code of ethic. You see what I'm getting at is that we deal with the human condition here at the church just like any other organization deals with human nature. But we're called to deal with it better and we're equipped, he's saying. We're enabled to deal with it better because we have a unifying presence of God and the spirit of God and the first fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. We have the first fruits of what God is creating, recreating. And we are capable of dealing with human nature better. But we have to be accountable. Accountable to the kind of behaviors that we're called to. Accountable to the commitments that we make. Accountable not just to go do whatever we want just because it's our whim. You, some of you all have seen this podcast that Mike Cosper put together through Christianity Today called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And this is, is, is an exposition or an expose of a church that didn't have a culture of accountability. 
And, you know, the funny thing is, is that they're, 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 they're putting, they're pointing their finger, of course, at this one person, this pastor who was very ambitious, and, and, and they drew, grew the church very fast, and, and it became, you know, there were 10,000 people, there were seven different campuses, and, I mean, almost overnight, this thing grew up like a, like a weed. Like a weed. And we're called to be a garden. Plant in rows. Order our time. Be accountable to one another. It wasn't just one person who went rogue. It's a whole structure that was lacking accountability. And so I, I think they should redo the whole podcast. I mean, they've done eight different series, but I think they need to look at the culture that they created that didn't know how to set limits, that didn't know how to keep its promises. You know, I've heard this, uh, no snowflake, no snowflake in an avalanche feels responsible, right? <laughs> no snowflake in an avalanche feels responsible. That church came crashing down. There's nothing left of that church anymore. 10,000 people on a, on a weekend, nothing left. No snowflake in an avalanche feels responsible. Why? Because we're not being accountable Here's what uh, Yuval Levine in his uh, new book, A Time to Build, says. He says, when an institution fails to impose an ethic on a people, not seeing formation around an ethic as its purpose, there's a problem. When political, listen to this, when political institutions are just stages for the politically outraged, can you see names and faces left and right? Just stages for the politically outraged. When a university, when a university becomes a venue for virtue signaling, when journalism is indistinguishable from activism, they become harder to trust. We need accountability. We need structure. We need to be able to keep our commitments. We have a role. So when you serve in a role, maybe you think, hey, I'm a free solo climber, and I'm going to be a free solo climber, and whatever I do, well, good. But recognize that maybe there's something to the role that might, you not, might need to grow into. Yeah, bring your personality. Bring, bring, bring all of your lion-heartedness into all the roles that you're serving. But recognize that that role has, has some structure to it, and it may lead to growth in you. So too in the church, you see. We're called to be accountable to the principles that lead to human flourishing. Well, how? You say, how? Well, you see how this passage ends. It talks about hope that is invisible, right? We are called to make hope visible. That's what we're doing. When we're creating, you say, well, you know, I don't like the committee structure and the bureaucracy of the church. Well, something's bureaucratic only when it doesn't serve its purpose. We institutionalize around our values so that we can sustain them, so that we can take things farther, so that we can create a, a strength through common commitments. You think the institutional church is just sort of the dead part of the church? No, it's not. It is vital to the health of the vine because that's where we begin to see the values, especially hope, become visible in time and space. That's why we need to invest in this place. That's why we do. That's why, that's why when, we, when we, in just a little bit, a few touches over the course of the summer, the linguists you know, all of a sudden we've got 12 life groups. Just a little bit of intentionality. Boom. There it is. You see what happens? 
You say, well, people, things just need to grow organically. We just need to just sort of, well, I'm passionate about this, so let's go over this way. Well, I'm sorry, but we didn't make that commitment. And we've got all these other commitments, and we need to be true to our promises, and we need your energy to go in the direction of the commitments we've already made. And see, that's how things stay healthy and sustainable and powerfully in order in a way that demonstrates a different kind of ethic. Here's how I read this, just just to draw an analogy to another institution, marriage. I read this at at weddings every now and then from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's talking to his niece and 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 her intended, and, and he says this. In your love, he's talking to them about how they have a love that's private, but they also have a public responsibility. He says this. In your love, you see only your two selves in the world, but in marriage, you're a link in the chain of generations which God causes to come to pass away to his glory and calls into his kingdom. In your love, you see only the heaven of your own happiness, but in your marriage, you're placed at a post of responsibility towards the world and towards humankind. Your love is your own private possession, yes, but marriage is more than something personal. It's a status, an office, just as it is the crown And not merely the will to rule that makes the king. So it is marriage, not merely your love for each other that joins you together in the sight of God. And man, institution of marriage comes with a responsibility that is public. So does church membership. We are not just here for our private, personal, individual edification. Individualism has been choking freedom out of our culture because it's taking us in directions that are unprincipled, unstructured, unsustainable. And so we as the church are called to line up with these graceful principles, graceful, truthful principles, accountable to those things, building strength, forming into marriage, forming into the roles, forming as disciples of Christ because of those common commitments, promises made and promises kept. One of our president's son, Teddy Roosevelt, said this, do what you can with what you have right where you are. That's what we're calling ourselves to in this new season. Do what you can with what you have right where you are. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this letter, this ancient letter to a noble church. Uh, Its bricks and mortar are gone, but its legacy, its relationships remain. The vine is alive and well. Lord, may we so order our days. May we so order our lives that we would reflect your goodness, be an instrument of faith and hope and love. In Jesus' name, amen.